Hey everybody, today we're talking to Mitch Patel, Vision Hospitality. Mitch is incredible. Everybody knows Mitch is a University of Tennessee volunteer. He's an engineer turned hotel developer. It was very inspiring to hear how Mitch got started and you can really feel his passion for our industry. I love this talk and I know you will too. Thanks for joining. Hey Mitch, uh, thanks for joining me today on Team Talks. Uh, I appreciate you joining, you're a good friend. Where, uh, how are you? How's the family? Where are you? Give me what you've been doing the last month or so. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me, Teague, today. Um, I've enjoyed these, uh, these podcasts. Uh, and uh, and I'm, as I've said before, I'm, I'm learning as well. We're all learning uh, through this crisis. And, uh, and, and I'm actually uh, listening to many of these and, and taking notes myself. So, Glad to participate. Uh, how are we doing, Teague? You know, first of all, uh, first and foremost, our our family is safe and healthy. Um, my parents, my children, my immediate uh, friends and family are all safe and healthy. That's most important. Uh, and I'm glad that you and your family are as well. And uh, and overall, um, you know, our our associates, our vision family, which is very very important, uh, is safe and healthy. And we're navigating some through some challenging times together, but we have an incredibly strong culture and uh, so proud of them, and, uh, but they are safe and healthy, and that's, that's, at the end of the day, the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, how many employees you got? Well, how many, how many employees did we have? Yeah, right? I mean, we, yeah. had, we had about 1,500 associates, and the hardest uh, part of this is is the human toll of uh, you know the furloughing that we had to, to to we didn't want to do but we were forced to do it obviously we were all the industry was forced to do it uh, you know we went from 1500 associates which I was very proud of right starting this company with one person and and one big dream and taking it to 1500 associates uh, was probably something that I was most proud of. People have been with us for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and we went down to 400 people. We had to furlough 1,100 associates in a matter of a couple of days. And uh, that's been the hardest part about this, but the good news is, that's the bad news. The good news is we brought probably another 400 people back. So we're about at 50% uh, capacity in terms of number of associates, uh, but that's about where we are at. So I like it, and you hit on it, Mitch. Let's dive down that. I mean, tell us, how you, we're people, pe people, you and me, but tell me, how'd you get started? How'd you get in this business? How'd you grow up? Talk to day one, and, and how you ended up where you are as a great, successful company. Sure. So, T, I mean, uh, many of us have these 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 type of stories, and uh, we didn't plan to get into this business. Uh, but uh, you know, my 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 father and my my mother uh, leased an eleven room motel in uh, Stockton, California. My father's actually a research uh, scientist. Uh, he's got his PhD in food microbiology, and we're 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 living this traditional American dream, but he takes a little detour and we move out of our two bedroom townhouse and leases an 11 room motel in Stockton, California. We move into the, the, the apartment behind the motel office and uh, I'm about eight years old at this time and uh, helping the family and cleaning rooms, taking out the trash, uh, 
doing laundry and even checking in guests at that age. Uh, so that, that was an entry into the hotel industry for us as a family. And in the middle of my fifth grade school year, we moved cross country from California to Cleveland, Tennessee. And my father, if you remember the Scottish Inns, uh, they were up and down I-75 and the interstate corridors. My father bought uh, a Scottish Inn in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we upgraded it to an Econolodge. And again, I find myself uh, helping out in the family business. And because I grew up in the business, that's the last thing I want to do is pursue that as a career. And I went on to college to become an engineer. And I'll be very, very simple with that. My parents said, you better be a doctor, lawyer, and engineer, or you won't get a good girl. And, uh, and, I, and I took the least of those three. And we're pretty ignorant at that age, right? I'm probably still ignorant, but at the age of 18, I'm like going, you know what? I'm definitely not gonna be cleaning rooms and doing laundry for, a, for forever. And uh, let me do something that is a little bit more professional, right? And, and who would have ever known that I would have got back into this business? What, what brought you back? Did you graduate yeah, the so, job? Yeah, so I got my bachelor's and master's in uh, civil engineering. My master's is actually in traffic transportation engineering. And got a job in, an, in, got a job in Atlanta working as a traffic engineer. And I basically gave up and you live in Atlanta, so you know how the traffic situation is there. And so I apologize uh, to you, Teague, and, and many of my friends that live in Atlanta because I really screwed it up. Uh, yeah, now you're fine. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I was in my cubicle and I kept on looking at my watch. I couldn't wait till lunchtime. I couldn't wait till five o'clock to go home. And I didn't have a passion for it. And... Uh, and I just, I, I did it for three years and I just said, this is just something that I just can't do for the rest of my life. It wasn't creative. It wasn't engaging with people and so forth enough for me. And so I took a chance. Uh, there was a hotel opportunity in my hometown area. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, Tennessee, but Chattanooga is just uh, 20 minutes from it. And uh, never heard of this brand before. It was called Homewood Suites. Uh, and uh, and I literally uh, went in with $3,000 uh, that I had saved uh, working as an engineer. I had to come up with a lot more money than that for my share of the equity, borrowed every single penny that I could from friends and family. And I built that hotel as a contractor, even though I never built a shed before. Literally took off my hard hat and I'm the opening general manager, learned how to put on a tie and, uh, and I, and I'm here, I'm a general manager of this hotel when I never led anybody at that point. And so that was the entry into the hotel industry for me. How old were you at that time? I was 27, around 27 years of age and pretty ignorant. And uh, sometimes ignorance uh, can be a bliss. And, uh, but uh, I'll tell you, we struggled early. T, you know, we did about 10% occupancy and ramped up to 15%. So I kind of understand what we're going through right now a little bit. Uh, and that was in May and June. Uh, so we're talking about busier times of the year. And I thought about, you know what? Do I want to continue doing this? This is awful. But I didn't have a choice. I had people that depended on me. I had a bank that depended on me. Um, and so I plowed through it and it wasn't easy, 
but it took us 18 months of hard work and dedication, but we became the number one hotel in the market, but something else happened T. I found my passion where I never expected, you know? And so, and once you have that passion, that'll drive you every single day. And hopefully you can hear my voice. I still have that the tremendous passion for this industry. Oh, your energy is infectious. So how long did it take for you to do your second hotel? It took a little while, right? So it was 2000, 1997 is when I opened that first hotel. And then 2000 is when I opened the second hotel and it was a bust. And if you remember on Amer the Amera Suites, yes. we were franchise number three. And the all suites movement uh, was, was taking traction, you know, and we thought, okay, with well, the Homewood Suites, uh, was some somewhat successful, let's go do an Amerisuite in Nashville. And it was an absolute disaster. You know, the reservation platform, the engine was just not there. And then of course, 2001 came, horrible timing. And uh, it was probably one of our worst performing hotels in our portfolio. And um, even, even today, when we look back at it, uh, but I was very blessed that we opened our third hotel so don't give up. The third hotel was the Hilton Garden Inn in, in Chattanooga downtown, back in my hometown in the downtown area. Um, opened October 11, 2001. Couldn't be a worse time to open a hotel. But we did 60% first month, 70% the second month, and the rest is history. But something very powerful happened and it gave me confidence. And uh, gave me confidence that, you know what, we can do this. And we grew the company diligently since then. So you're trained for this. I mean, you've, you've, yeah. Uh, so how did you, how do you, what do you think? I mean, I think you cheated with an engineering background becoming a developer because you could use all that knowledge to value engineer, to build it cheaper, to build it better, et cetera. How much do you think that engineering background helped you? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, at the time, I sure didn't enjoy it. I'll tell you that, T. But looking back at it, uh, it absolutely has assisted me, you know, um, taught me discipline, taught me logic. Um, and a lot of that is so applicable today in what we're going through, right? And, and in terms of your question of development, you know, being a civil engineer, and I was designing bridges and highways uh, and so forth. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm here I'm building a hotel and I built that first hotel as a general contractor. So I learned so much, you know, uh, in how to build a hotel from ground up. And so it's, uh, it's absolutely is, uh, has been helpful. Uh, but of course I've got a great team, uh, that works with me every day, but the square footage and rentable square footage in terms of structure, you know, I, I, I say this comment often T, I've never seen in TripAdvisor anyone comment on steel, rebar, concrete, and retaining walls and those kind of things, right? So we have a simple philosophy, place money where guests notice, save money where guests don't care, right? So if you come to any of our hotels, you'll see we will spend more on landscaping, our interiors, uh, and so forth. We'll even put uh, custom art in a Hampton Inn. And, and we will storytell with our hotels, even though they're branded select service hotels, we'll take the approach of a boutique hotel. And we think that translates to business, occupancy, ADR, uh, loyalty, and guest, uh, and, and attracting talent, which is very important as well, right? And so, but there's an art and a science uh, to all of it. And uh, 
And we feel like uh, we've become pretty, pretty good at it, right? After doing 50 or 60 of these. And, uh, and so we believe in it and we're going to continue doing it. Do you, do you have a favorite hotel? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have to say the Edwin. Um, it is our first uh, independent uh, boutique hotel uh, luxury segment. Uh, it's uh, probably not my favorite in terms of making money, but you asked me what's my favorite uh, in terms of execution of the, of the hotel. We're storytelling. We have about 200 pieces of local art in the hotel. We have three food and beverage outlets. Uh, and so it's, uh, it was in Condé Nast top 10 hotel uh, in the United States uh, last year. And I don't think, uh, no offense to a Hampton Inn or Residence Inn, I don't think any of those hotels are gonna get in Condé Nast top 10. And so it's, uh, it, it, you know, getting into this business with, uh, just a one big dream and for you to open up that Condé Nast magazine that you've admired for, for over a decade to see your hotel that you developed in your hometown uh, on it. There's, there was just nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah. Sometimes there's an emotion piece to what we're doing, right? It taps into that passion. Absolutely. So there are a lot of young people listening, but what advice would you give to young people? But let me take it a step further. Would you, would you ask, advise your kids to get into this industry? Wow. Well, um, the advice that I'm giving my kids is uh, do, do what you're going to love, right? To follow your passion. And, and I don't think they know that at this point. Uh, I sure didn't know it. Uh, I think uh, when I was 10 or 12, I wanted to be a zoologist or something, right? Uh, so that, that's going to change uh, uh, dramatically. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I would love, I guess the answer to the question is I would love for one or all three of my children to get into this business. It is a incredible business. You know, we call the game of soccer in this country or football in the world, beautiful, a beautiful game. I think this business is a beautiful business and we should trademark that. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's an incredible business. We get to create uh, these incredible buildings uh, that, uh, and, and then uh, have employees that are very passionate and then they're taking care of guests and incredible things are happening at these hotels, right? From weddings to engagements to, to business and so forth. So I would love for them to get into this business, but they're going to have to find their, their path. And, and of course, they've got to hopefully a mentor that can help them. Uh, they got a good father, so they got to start there. You and I had good mentors as well. All right, so let's keep on the development path. Uh, where's development headed now? Are you going to continue develop, to develop? You're a developer, but trade. Are you going to continue to develop? Is that going to slow? What do you think happens with construction costs and labor and materials? And what does the future of development look like? Sure. So first of all, Teague, I just want to say all we know is development, right? Uh, we've acquired one hotel in the 23 years, and that was a gut job. Uh, you know, we gutted the hotel and to, to rebrand it uh, to, to another hotel brand. So, which practically is probably a development, right? Uh, so that's all we know and we're good at it. And every company creates value differently. And so 
we think we have nine hotels under construction right now. Um, does that give me some pause? Absolutely. You know, we, we didn't, you know, we underwrote uh, those hotels uh, absolutely at a different uh, rep par and this year and next year and the year after that and what we'll probably achieve. So the good news is only two of them are opening this year and we're pushing them back uh, a little bit. We have seven opening next year. And, uh, but I have zero hotels in my pipeline as of today, zero. So we have no carrying costs on dirt, on, on drawings and so forth, but uh, it was purposeful. We knew around, um, you know, in the middle of last year or so that there's gonna be some sort of correction. Now, nothing like this, right? What we're going through with some sort of correction in 20 or even after the election in 21. So we put a pause because the two headwinds that we, were, that we had was the construction costs. We're going up 10, 12% annually. Land costs were going up dramatically. I bought a piece of dirt in Nashville for 30 bucks a square foot in 2012. Well, land's trading at 300 to $350 a square foot in 18 and 19. And construction costs have gone from 90 to 100 bucks a square foot uh, to 200 bucks a square foot in a lot of markets. And so this business is about basis at the end of the day. And it really was making me nervous that we're building these hotels, even though we're very efficient developers, we're building it at a much higher basis than we're comfortable with. And then we knew some sort of cliff was going to take place. So those were the two headwinds as a developer for me. Well, those two have been eliminated now, somewhat, right? So construction costs, we feel like, you know, is already down about 10 to 15% uh, right now over last year. And we don't have a lot of data right now. We will know a lot more in a couple of months as we get some actual bids uh, from peers uh, of ours. And, and, and talking to general contractors so that we work with about six or seven of them. Uh, that are become good friends of ours as well. So, you know, we think next year, as obviously, um, you know, the climate is, is difficult to convince a lender, uh, much less yourself, you know, that a new hotel is warranted and lending is going to become obviously tight uh, uh, for new construction, that uh, the, the, the starts, uh, construction starts going to diminish tremendously. But I do want to add to that, remember that our industry has grown 2% annually, uh, uh, you know, 2% annually in supply, right? Over the last 20, 30 years. It hit 2% in 18 and 19, but previous to that, it was well under one and a half to 1% for the, last, the previous seven years. So we just hit our 2% in the last uh, couple of years. And that's going to taper now, right? This year, uh, next year and a couple of years afterwards. So it, we feel like we're going against the grain, but we've always gone against the grain. We opened 14 hotels from 2011 to 14. And in 2009, we came up with a plan that we're going to grow when most people were thinking the opposite. And so we think that there's going to be opportunities, but we have to be very careful we're not going to start anything anytime soon. We're looking at, if we're going to start any projects, we're looking at second half of next year to first half of 22. And we think that that will put us in a better position of opening in 23 or 24 and beyond, which we think that rep bar levels should get back to more of a 19 
level basis. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that makes a ton of sense, actually. And I think that there will be fewer and fewer developers. So in theory, your competition will be less. Hopefully, costs will be less. Um, and you'll be opening up at the right time, arguably. But to your point, very tough to get debt, very tough to get a loan for this. Who knows what that's going to look like. Um, I know there are the merchant developers out there, right? Uh, I'd love to say you're one of those, except that you haven't sold any of your development projects. But if you can build assets, which is what Wall Street can't do, and then you can sell it to Wall Street, in theory, then you're not competing with them with all the vultures that are going to try to pick up whatever's happening out there. So I like your strategy a lot. Yeah, look, if you could build them, uh, build these hotels at a good basis, again, this business is about basis, and uh, a better basis than 18 and 19 starts uh, with 20 to 30% reduction in construction costs, potentially land cost and, and of, of course, other costs as well, and develop hotels that Wall Street would want to buy and would see upside uh, hopefully in 23, 24, and 25 and beyond, uh, hopefully we'll see unprecedented repar growth uh, at that uh, time. And, uh, and it could be a good play um, to exit as well on those assets. I, I, I like that strategy. So let's talk about your current portfolio if we can, because that's, that's a little trickier today. Uh, not as pretty. But talk to me about the performance of your current portfolio and maybe even break even and what difficult decisions we may have to make in the future. Sure. So, you know, we have 37 hotels in six states. Uh, of course, we have nine in our pipeline and uh, 37 current hotels uh, in our portfolio. And first and foremost, it's, it's hard to talk about growth, right? Uh, and you've got to, you've got to take care of your own portfolio. And that's the first thing that we did, uh, you know, when, when middle of March hit, right? It said, priority number one is our portfolio. Let's come up with a plan. And we did come up with a plan, uh, like most people did. And so uh, unfortunately, we had to make some tough decisions on furloughing and, uh, and even reduction in wages and so forth uh, uh, that, that, that were necessary. So, you know, this doesn't always apply to you, but at 30% occupancy, if you are a savvy operator in the select service space, uh, you know, at 30% occupancy, if you're able to defer debt, which we were able to do and most people were able to do, um, you could break even. And 50% is kind of the magic number to break even with, uh, with debt. So we did about 30% occupancy in April, which is one of the, which is the worst month probably in the history of this industry. Uh, we did 30% occupancy. Uh, we did about 40% occupancy in May, and we did over 50% occupancy in June. And we are hovering around, I think we're gonna finish up with 55 to 56% occupancy in July. I think that we would have hit over 60% occupancy in July, uh, but the last two weeks, um, as you know, with, uh, with the cases and the media and so forth, uh, attention to that, we've seen that uh, kind of uh, <clears throat> flatten out. Um, now, I think we peaked um, because we relied heavily on leisure, right? Uh, 
A lot of our hotels um, are, are obviously leisure markets. We have uh, the extended stay hotels. We're doing extremely well. The interstate hotels we're doing extremely well. Urban, of course, not so well. My concern now is going into um, off season, right? Uh, which relies a lot on group business uh, in September, October, November. Uh, Chattanooga, for example, we canceled over $120 million in events this year alone. Ironman canceled, huge $20 million impact uh, uh, with the Ironman race in Chattanooga end of September, already canceled, which is very disappointing. So <clears throat> this is gonna be a long road. It's gonna be a bumpy road. Um, and so if you're able to defer debt, then obviously that helps tremendously. If you're able to slim your staff from 40 to 50 people down to eight or 10 people, you're asking a lot uh, for, for, from your associates, right? Uh, cleaning rooms and, and, and uh, doing front desk. Uh, but I'm proud of my team. Our GOP percentage at a lot of our hotels, at most of our hotels are equal or greater than they were last year for the month of May and June. And, I, and I'm expecting that in July as well. So we're managing it the best that we can. Um, you know, it's like my good friend DJ said uh, on, on one of the Teak Talks, you know, protecting our people, protecting our guests and protecting uh, our cash. And, and we're using that same mantra uh, as well. And that cash piece is very important that we're watching every single day. I'd like to hear you echo uh, those three points. And DJ, brilliant, everyone loves him. The more we hear it, the more it'll continue to sink in and others will pick up on it, use it as their mantra. So let's continue to talk about the cash though and the cash burn. Um, I, I won't say how long can you make it, but your deferments you get on your balance sheet lenders and your relationship lenders. They know Mitch Patel, they've worked with him for a long time. They're happy to work with him. They trust him, they're happy to work with him. The CMBS guy, not so much. So I'm assuming you're not getting deferments on CMBS. So uh, talk to me about the difference in the loans and what your plan is with the CMBS assets. Yeah, so that, that's been the biggest challenge, I think, with all, with all of what we're facing right now is the CMBS. And, and, uh, and my peers and, and good friends, uh, they, they have very little of it or none of it. Uh, so we were very successful, like most uh, of my fellow hoteliers in deferring uh, the balance sheet uh, loans uh, uh, payments uh, for, for 90 days and even beyond six months and, and so forth, which we were able to do, which helped tremendously. We're very thankful of those relationships. Uh, with CMBS, like you just said, different story. So uh, we are in negotiations with a couple. We have, by the way, we have 17 CMBS loans. Uh, uh, roughly around $200 million in CMBS debt. Uh, so that's significant uh, monthly payments uh, that we are paying. And we're continuing to pay those payments um, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, we are negotiating uh, with a couple of them. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but it's just, it just doesn't look good. Uh, the, the, pay, the, the penalties and the fees uh, just aren't aren't justified. We were very fortunate that, uh, you know, I talk about the brick house often, you know, I said it at Hunter uh, last year at your conference uh, that uh, 
this is before this crisis, you know, uh, I, I believe in, you know, you know, when a storm comes, uh, you better have a brick house, not a straw house. And what is a brick house? Uh, what's a brick house made of? Brains, markets, your debt, your debt coverage ratio, you know, your liquidity and all those things, your people, you know, all make a brick house. And, and we're very proud that we had a great brick house. And this, no one would have predicted a storm like this. Let's, let's be very clear. But we, we, when we were refinancing, even with CMBS or balance sheet, we were very, very, very low leverage. You know, we would take the absolute minimum uh, amount that we needed. And um, so that's helping us tremendously today. And we put a lot of reserves aside as well, knowing that uh, this cliff is coming at some point. Uh, so that's helping us manage through this crisis a little bit better. But uh, I am very hopeful that something is going to get done at the federal level. Um, and we're getting really close. I really believe that, T. Um, thanks to AHLA, thanks to AHOA, and thanks to a lot of hoteliers reaching out, uh, Congressman uh, Van Taylor. Uh, people didn't know my own congressman, who's a friend of mine in Chattanooga. He said, what? What is CMBS? You know, uh, the average person does not know what CMBS means. Uh, and the uh, average politician definitely does not know what CMBS means. And let's admit it, that is not priority, you know, to, to the average person, right? Uh, the average person, their priority is their job, you know? And so, and so it's, uh, it's been a big challenge. So, but now that some of those priority initiatives have taken place, there is an opportunity now to, to seize uh, the, this challenge with CMBS. So I'm very hopeful that there's gonna be some federal um, guaranteed money that's gonna come out uh, of this, of the HOPE Act here pretty soon, that is gonna give some liquidity to the hotel industry. You know, there's about $90 billion in CMBS debt in the hotel space um, uh, and, that's about, that equates to about $6 billion in annual debt service. So in the scheme of a trillion dollar packages, we're not talking about a lot of money, right? Uh, so if they could come in and help with 12 to 18 months of debt service uh, at a very low rate uh, and, and backed by the government and of course signed off by the CMBS community, then we could all weather this storm. And, and by the way, that's not gonna just be applicable to CMBS loans. It's also gonna, this program, if it, if it does get approved, will be applicable to balance sheet uh, loans as well, which will provide much needed liquidity in the hotel space that needs it the most. Let's, 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 let's admit that, uh, that the hotel, industry needs help the most to no fault of theirs. Uh, and this is a absolute medical crisis, not an economic crisis. We didn't overbuild, we didn't over leverage, we didn't do those silly things that we may have done in the past. Uh, this is not our fault. Uh, you know, it's not our fault that the hospital system didn't have capacity, right? And those kind of things. Uh, and uh, so we are looking for assistance. Yeah, that's, uh, that's big. Uh, I hope we get it for all of us because, I don't know, I mean, go the other route if we don't get it. I mean, you've got 17 CMBS notes if you get no help there. Even if you've got 20 balance sheet notes, just, right, 37 when the, when the deferments run off. And if this economy hasn't come back and if we're still in it, that's a lot of hotel notes you got to start paying. 
if you're not a break even and you're a better operator than most, but you're going to run into problems and you're going to have to start making difficult decisions. Absolutely, Teague. And that's, uh, that is concerning, you know, um, obviously this June and July, you know, we have a lot of leisure demand, but now come August and September, October, uh, we're not going to be at that magic number of, of 50% at a lot of our hotels, right? Uh, and they may dip down dramatically. And then you have, you know, property taxes are due in some markets October, some in February. You have the winter season coming, which most hoteliers don't even make money. They don't even, they, they break even or lose money those three, four months, right? During the off season in normal years. And, and so it, this is going to be a, a, a long road, and I think March of 21, or the beginning of the second uh, quarter of next year, is going to be a pivotal month. Uh, you know, you have property taxes, you have the, the, the off-season business, you have deferrals uh, that uh, obviously banks aren't going to keep this going forever. The three months, you know, deferrals, that was easy. That was a slam dunk, okay? Now, you know, the next three months, it was a free throw. Uh, you know, we, we were able to, to get to most of it, but we, were, we, had, a, we had to tell a better story. You know, uh, some of them pushed back and said, hey, you're doing, you're doing 60, 70% occupancy on some of these hotels. Uh, so what, 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 why should we be doing this for you? And so I, I can't imagine what the next three months would look like, right? And now you're going into a slower season too. So this is, uh, it's not gonna be easy. And, uh, and I think March of 21 is going to be a very critical period. Uh, and so this will help tremendously in, in providing liquidity to our industry. All right, I'm writing it down, March of 21. Yeah, isn't the 100 conference around that time too? Somewhere around there, somewhere, yeah. somewhere around there. We're hoping we get to have it as well. Um, all right, so so keep going though. Tell me, tell me, give me some fundamental changes of our industry. Our industry is not going to look the same. Our world's not going to look the same. But let's talk our hospitality industry. What are some fundamental changes you see coming? Yeah, look, uh, obviously um, everything has changed, right? Almost every industry is is going to change. Um, some temporary, and some things may be more permanent. Uh, so one of the things that I want to talk about, Teague, is uh, <clears throat> fundamentally, my, my friend Corey, the OTO, has been preaching this for a long time, you know, that, uh, that we need to structurally change our business model. You know, we, what we were seeing is Repar was growing over the last five, six years, but our GOP margins were not growing uh, at that pace and definitely, in some cases, even diminishing. And labor had a lot to do with it. So, you know, breakfast, housekeeping, charging for a shuttle service, you know, there's so many ideas floating around. And I think with housekeeping is something that I want to talk about. Uh, you know, we are now at a period where the opportunity is there for us, you know, to seize that opportunity. You know, we aren't providing housekeeping. You know, we're obviously uh, doing an incredible job of industry in, in sanitizing the room and sealing the room for that customer. And then we are not providing housekeeping service during that, uh, that guest day. And so what we would love to do is keep continue that. And then at some point at an opportune time, start charging for housekeeping. I know that's bold. And I know that people are 
probably shaking their head and saying, what, we can't do that. But you know, the airline industry obviously, uh, you know, charged uh, for baggage uh, and it has been a game changer in their industry. And so do not, I don't want people to look at it as it's a Hilton or Marriott or IHG. This is an industry uh, uh, initiative that we would love to do. And, uh, and I think that people are, would be receptive to that, uh, you know, come first quarter, second quarter of next year. And it doesn't have to be a huge charge. Uh, it could be $5, $10 in luxury properties, maybe it's more. So it's, uh, but it would be a game changer for our industry. We have to really look at our business model and, and, and we're gonna have to change it uh, because it's gonna be a three, four year right period before we get back to 19 levels and so there are going to have to be some changes to how we offer breakfast uh complimentary breakfast how we offer housekeeping should we be charging for shuttle services and then of course other initiatives like that who do you think is going to take the lead on that i mean is it the brands or is it the operators or well, you know, I, operators really can't take a lead on that unless you're an independent hotel operator, right? Uh, we're at the mercy of, um, of obviously our partnership with the big brand companies. Um, the big brand companies, of course, in partnership uh, with us owners uh, have to take the lead on that. And, but, but, you know, there, there's obviously, um, you know, antitrust and, uh, co you know, uh, those kind of issues that collusion type issues that you're dealing with that you got to be very careful with. Uh, but I think that could be navigated and, uh, and done in a manner where it will only work. Let me end with this on that. It will only work if everyone does it. You can't have one brand company doing it and no one else. You know, everyone uh, needs to do it in the airline industry. That's what happened. And, uh, and it's become the norm. And so what, what will the norm look like uh, in our business model going forward. And we have this window of opportunity. You can't go two, three years uh, from now and start introducing something like this. We have an opt-in housekeeping model right now. You know, so now if you choose to opt-in, then there will be a charge associated with it at some point, you know? And, and I think the consumer uh, would be an acceptance to something like that. Um, and it, it, but no one wants the press, right? The first hotel company to do it, uh, they're the ones who's gonna get the spotlight from the press and the bad publicity potentially. And so that's where the, that's where the roadblock is. Well, I'll have uh, Arnie and Nasetta and uh, Bellotti on Teague Talks and we'll ask them. <laughs> See you again. They, they won't answer that because of collusion. I'll tell you that, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, we can still ask. You could ask. And I know you guys are working hard behind the scenes and all the committees and stuff. So keep pushing. Uh, all right. Let me final question, wrap it up. I know you're a big Tennessee volunteers fan. So are we going to get to watch football this season? Am I going to get to come to Knoxville and watch a game with you? I sure wish uh, you could. And I hope you will. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really have the answer to that. Uh, obviously, NBA is being played in a bubble in Orlando. You can't really do that with uh, college football. And so, but I'll tell you what gave me a sign of hope. Uh, our governor, uh, Governor Lee, Tennessee, you know, has been very progressive. You know, the whole, all of this is about balancing health 
and balancing the health of our economy, right? I mean, that's what we're all trying to do. And uh, so, you know, it's a huge business, uh, football, as you know, and uh, so, and sports in general. So it's, uh, Governor Lee just, uh, just announced that he, will, he is allowing contact sports uh, and will, it's a, gov it's a, it's a government uh, ordinance uh, that uh, he has issued and is allowing contact sports, which includes football. So it looks like we're gonna have high school football. And as of right now, it looks like it, unless something changes, it's always changing. But uh, that gives me hope that maybe college football is not far behind. And I hope so, because in the South, you know that T. Oh, yeah. Uh, fall is my favorite, uh, favorite time of the year. And it's not just the weather and the color of the leaves and so forth, but it's, it's uh, college football is a big part of it. The tradition and the culture of college football is huge in the South. And I, I think we need it for our psyche and our, okay, the economy, but just some sense of normalcy. If we don't get there, it's going to take longer and longer. I, yeah. I'm watching uh, the NBA. I'm watching uh, Major League Baseball. Fingers crossed that those all go well, seeing how the NFL opens. Um, and I'm hope, just being blindly optimistic. My realistic attitude is I, I have a belief in, in, in professional athletes. Uh, I'm not sure I trust college kids to stay away from each other. Point taken. But, all right, Mitch, uh, I've loved it. Thank you, thank you for the time. You're uh, fantastic. I love your story. Uh, uh, I love your company. I love you and your family. So thank you. Stay safe, and uh, let's get through this together. Thank you, T. You have a great day. Thanks, Mitch.